This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Ishad Torah in the old city of Jerusalem. I'm overlooking the Western Wall. <laughs> Shalom. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, rebellion in Judaism. Rebellion in Judaism has a, you know, it's a very rich history, and we, we get a lot of it from the Torah. Um, the, the whole subject of rebellion. Um, we, we get positive views of rebellion. We get negative views of rebellion. What's the most positive view of rebellion? Who's, uh, who, which character is the most positive view of rebellion? Avram Avinu. Okay, who's, where's the story in the Torah where there's a negative view of rebellion? There's many of them, but what's one of them? Korach. Korach, okay, very good. Korach. What, which one? Asav. Um, what else? What's the, f- the famous one? They built something. Tower of Babel. Babel, yeah. The, so, so, we've got, so we've got, like, on the one hand, we see there's two types of being a rebel. And one is the rebel that's the good one, and one is the rebel that's clearly not the good one. And, and, so, and so we need to decipher this clearly. Now, rebellion is... Something you can influence someone toward. You can, like, I could influence all of you. Like, have any of you, even during this day, since I've been in this room, have, uh, have I angered anybody? Not against me, but against maybe other things? Have I incited you to some level of frustration or anger at any group of people or anything like that? Or have I done that? So, if not, you're, you should check your pulse, given the discussion, you know, the history of the state of Israel that I just gave over. Okay? So that should have. So you can be led towards being a rebellious person, but there's also people who are just born for it. And uh, in one great book, I forget who wrote it, which is not good, but I remember the book was called "Who Are You Anyway?" I think it's one of the greatest personality typology books and a real unsung hero, the author of that. Um, but he called this certain personality. They're called dynamic. He said there are two types of people, dynamics and supportive. And you can figure out what you are, whether you're a dynamic or supportive. Um, you're dynamic, and the other one, if you're the, the rebellious type, you're called a dynamic assertive. A dynamic assertive, meaning you're, you're dynamic personality and you assert things and assert yourself and assert ideas, and, and you're an, a dynamic assertive. Uh, there's another person called a dynamic um, aggressive. Those are leadership types. So, like, you'll notice, you would think me a Jewish leader, a lot of people think of me as a Jewish leader, I happen to know because of this book that I'm actually a dynamic assertive. I make trouble and then I run away. So there's like, I make a bunch of trouble, there's a bunch of smoke, and when the smoke clears, or a bunch of dust, let's say, and when the dust clears, I'm gone. I'm gone. Uh, what's it? I don't think so. But, oh, um, and, then, uh, and then if uh, you're a dynamic aggressive you're going to be a leader type. So when the smoke clears, there's a guy there in charge of everybody, which I would just never, ever want to happen in my life. I don't want to be in charge of anyone but myself. That's it. So, so it, which is very interesting because that makes me automatically not a leader because it, to be a leader means you're, part of your fulfillment of your personality is that people would be following you. And... And so that, if that's not interesting to a person, then they're definitely not a dynamic aggressive. And if you're a supportive, you're not doing either. Supportive means you're helping 
you're helping bring the boxes in for the kiddish. Okay, you're you're helping arrange it or something. You know, that, that's a supportive personality, and those are super important personalities. Um, Jews happen to like this same author who wasn't Jewish said that Jews make up. I don't think he was Jewish, but Jews may have a weird over uh, representation of dynamics, which is interesting. That and I mean, there's nothing wrong if you're a supportive Jew, but there are a lot more dynamic Jews than there are Gentiles in the same population. There will be more Jews who are going to be, you know, shaking things up uh, in the same quant- in this, that same population. If it were Gentiles, then they would have a lot larger amount of supportives, fewer dynamics. Anyway, but back to rebellion. So Avram Avinu is seen as a good rebel. And what is he rebelling against? And the answer is, well, in the story that we learned from the oral tradition is that he was rebelling against his father's idolatry, that he's, he's ultimately rebelling against evil. And so, that, well, that teaches us a few things. One of the things it teaches us is not to be uh, neutral about evil. Don't be neutral about evil. And, that, and it's interesting because we're living in a very neutral uh, era right now. Like, it is not politically correct to be, um, you know, have opinions about things. Like, right now, your job... Or you can have an opinion against people with opinions. That's about it. Really strong opinions about people with opinions. But we, we learn from King David, he says, Ohave Hashem Sinura. Those who love God hate evil. Which means that even hate has a place. Where does hate have a place? Hate has a place when it comes to evil. That you're supposed to actually hate it. Not necessarily the evil doer, but the evil doings of the evil doer. That is supposed to be met, not neutrally, but with hatred. And so that, that's an important lesson in that. Now, let's look at how systems work. What happens with a system in general is that someone has an idea. I'll do it like a pyramid. So someone has an idea, and I'll put an eye in it. <laughs> so someone has an idea, and, and there's a reason there's an eye there is because they're, you know, they're the ones with the vision that was a vision that people saw as a good vision, because otherwise people wouldn't get behind them on this. You understand? People wouldn't be, there wouldn't be all these people down here if it wasn't for the vision. And so, and so there's a reason why there's an eye at the top of the pyramid, and, and that's, that's the visionary. And, and so, but the issue is, is that being the visionary, you're obviously at the top of the hierarchy here in the pyramid. You're, you're way at the top of the pyramid. You're at the top of the hierarchy. The problem with being at the top of the hierarchy is two. One is that, that your vision could turn to power very quickly. Right? Like the fact that you had vision is wonderful. But the fact that it flipped to power is terrible. And we've seen, you know, all the worst atrocity of, of human history started with good visions, nice visions, but it flipped to power. And once it flipped to power, it got defensive, it got vulnerable, and then it got vengeful and, and uh, lethal, malevolent. So. So that's, the, that's one of the dangers of being at the top. But the other danger of being at the top is that you don't have your finger on the pulse of the bottom. 
Now, here I put a flat line on the bottom, but I'm going to put something else for a change. And that is uh, and that is the dynamism of, of being you know, on the ground floor. The, the life is dynamic. I mean, things are shifting so fast right now, especially, but, but things always have been shifting. And things are very dynamic when you're on the streets of the world, you know, when you're in the workplace, when you're, you know, you're not sitting in some office on Capitol Hill or in the Knesset or wherever, you know, parliament in England, you're, but you're on the streets, you're in the real world. And when you're in the real world, well, your finger's on the pulse of how things, how things shift, which gives you more, can, can easily give you more vision than this guy in the suit. You know, in the three-piece suit. So the likelihood of you being more visionary than them eventually, not obviously at the beginning, they're the visionaries, but the fact of you potentially having more vision than this person. And I'll give you another example just in this class alone is, uh, I don't know, uh, ben, uh, ben Sion, for example, you're sitting there, and but you're like a person who understands more or less the generation you're in in a real way and, and in a way that's uh, not intellectual, but experienced and whereas for me I at teaching the class which puts me in the I position I likely less understand what's going on now I may be able to articulate it even I may understand it less but be better at articulating it maybe you can both understand it and articulate it but that puts you here and I lose my job which is what should happen Okay, but time goes by, and and you're 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 not as in touch at the top. Yeah, yeah. So there's certain governments that are set up, like democratic governments are set up. Well, one of the most important things is you cannot stay in office too long. Um, at least the leader. I don't know. Can someone stay in Congress forever? Or is that limited? Senate. Well, that ain't good. Supreme Court. Uh, so all of those should be, those should be, you know, th- th- those offices should be terminated. You know, like, especially the Supreme Court should be like. Anyway, you should be able to get out. Uh, Netanyahu, for example, to many people, people feel he's overstayed his welcome as prime minister. I don't know how many years it's been already, but been a lot of years and 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 why do why do how many years 10 so why do so many people like him anyway is because they know think of the position he's in he knows how to do that no one else knows how to do that and i'm not going to go into it what it takes to be the prime minister of israel uh, but there's certain things you've got to do that or actually the truth is there's certain things you've got to not do and and it's a, it's a serious position to be in. And, uh, you know, I could explain it in a, one sentence. Is you, have to, um, you have to make sure to never be in bed with a vicious, uh, a vicious sworn enemy who would do a genocide at a heartbeat against your people, while at the same time making the world think that you're moving towards progression 
meaning progress in the in some peace process. And those are opposites, and you have to do a great job of both. You understand? You have to never get together with with the your would be murderers, which everyone understands that you know you're not going to get together with murderers, but the. Uh, but at the same time, you have to let the whole world know that you think those murders are swell. And gee, you know, you're just waiting to sit at the table with them. And, and you have to hold that for a really long time. So he's held that perfectly for 10 years. Who can do that? Who can do that? And you see, we've had leaders that before him. If you remember the Oslo Accords, we've had leaders before him who were not able to. They just weren't able to. They weren't able to be strong enough. To not sleep in bed with Yasser, you know, Arab fat. You know, they couldn't be with the, they could not stay out of bed with the founder of modern terrorism. You know, which makes the whole, the whole world's unsafe today as a result of that man. And you see the nations of the world, they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize to a man who, you know, his career was started, I think, with an, blowing up an airplane, you know, which, you know, once you've blown up a, a, once you've blown up a passenger jet, you don't get Nobel prizes. Okay, there's not enough chuva in the world to do. You, there's not enough in the chuva container to get to a Nobel prize once you've blown up jet airliners. And the, uh, and, but it just goes to show you, you know, what kind of world the Jewish people, who are the f- sheep amongst the seventy wolves, of how their wolf. Their wolf outfit is so easily worn once they see the Jews sleeping in the same bed as Yasser Arafat. Suddenly Yasser Arafat gets Nobel Prize. And so like suddenly the, the father of modern terrorism is you know, worthy of a Nobel Prize. It's like, you know, we have to remind, I think we have a mitzvah to remind ourselves every day of what I just said. In case you have the slightest amnesia that we have, that the, the Israel or the Jewish people have any friends. I don't mean friends like your next door neighbors. I'm talking about friends in the overall macro vision of history. It will always be the sheep and the 70 wolves. And, and now again, that doesn't mean, you know, my best friends that I grew up with are, you know, who I could just, thank God, got to have beers with, which was a lot of fun in L.A. You know, they are, they're not Jewish guys. And they're, and, but they're just the guys I will be getting together with my whole life. And, and there's, they would never even think of it. And we're like connected at the hip. In fact, none of them really could come out. But because I was in LA, they all said, we're getting together because, ready for my English name? Because Johnny's here. <laughs> and they all came, they all came out. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> That's where the Nobel Prize came from? The guy who invented dynamite? That's so ironic. Isn't that amazing? Which is probably the... the ori- like, that led ultimately to an atom bomb, you know? Obviously, yeah. Okay, so 
So here's the dynamism of the, of the people on the streets. So really what we're saying here is that people like you should be taking over this class and taking over the institutions. And, and meaning, meaning just like Abraham who burned his father's idols, in a way idolatry could be said it's the nature, idolatry, I mean, this isn't true idolatry, but poetically, idolatry is the, the static nature, this is dynamic, that's static, the static nature of leadership after the vision. I mean, okay, the first vision, people wouldn't have rallied for it if it wasn't truly visionary. So it had its visionary period. But that's over now, and, and now the dynamism such that you see another vision but stuck in the tyranny of the pyramid that's being led by whomever. You get that? And so, the, so we learn from Avraham that that's the idolatry that you've got to burn. That's what's got to go. Now, how do you distinguish that from, let's say, Korach? And the answer is that Korach is... Korach was chose the wrong fight because we knew that at the time that Korach came to usurp Moses and Aaron was a time, was, was because that was a direct prophecy from God for their leadership. And the Torah like repeats it over and over. They're the ones who will do the leadership. I don't know if you know those psukim, but there's this strange little passage where it repeats over and over again. They're, it's them. They're the ones. Like, and it keeps repeating their names. And they're the ones who will do this. And they're the ones who are going to lead us out. And they're the ones who spoke to Pharaoh. And they're the ones. It's a really strange set of se- sentences there. You ever notice that? It's really strange. And very few Mepharshim talk about it. Very few uh, commentaries comment on that. But it's like super emphatic that God set them up for this and not, and no one else. And so it, was, it wasn't right that Korach should rebel against that. So this personality, and I, I like to say it like this, and um, well, no, I'm not going to say that. But they, they, this, this um, percolation, where the bottom percolates up, is is a necessary thing for the dynamism of every organization, of every government, of, of uh, every community, every synagogue, every, you know, wherever there's leadership, the percolating up of the people on the ground floor, the people with their finger on the pulse of Humanity. By the way, and it's not everybody there. It's just the ones that have the vision that need to find their way up there. And, and therefore, this top has to be, you know, it has to be somewhat detached in that it's, uh, it's removable here. So you can break it off, so to speak, and, and put a new visionary up there. And, and that's, that we learned from Avram Avinu. That we learned from Avram Avinu, who, uh, who like really got things and, <coughs> and got up to that visionary position. Um, but at the same time, you'll notice that Avram Avinu, and our sages say the strangest thing about him, and, and I'll, I'll end this, with, this part with this, is, is that it keeps saying with Avram Avinu, whenever he gets 
prophecy in various places in Israel. It says, V'yatek misham. V'yatek misham. What does that mean, V'yatek misham? It means that he uprooted his tent. He, when you drive a stake, so you also got to pull it out. And when you pull out a stake, it's V'yatek misham. Now, someone who had a vision, someone who had a vision is likely to hold his ground. That's where he's going to build a giant, you know, organization or institution or something like that. But Avram just kind of says, oh, that was cool. And then he uproots his tent and moves. He's a sojourner. He's just going to, oh, what's next? Let's see what my next vision will be. And we learn from that 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 was the kind of rebel that percolates up, knocks off leadership, but constantly moves. And there can be such a leader that moves like that. And I bet you the the leaders of the high-tech world today, people like Elon Musk or uh, maybe people at Microsoft or Google or Apple, I bet you they do have a lot of built-in percolation and movement at the top where things are moving. I would hope that. Or the visionary himself is super fluid and dynamic in his own right or her own right, that she sees things that way and, and knows that she's supposed to be like really listening to what's going on and like, you know, really hearing, hearing what's happening below and moving accordingly. Now, this, what's interesting about this is that Judaism is not known for this so much. Judaism's known for like a, a holding down the fort of the past, you know, really strongly. You know, we believe in, we believe in honoring tradition on the highest level to the point where we even will say that a tradition that was kept long enough, even though it has nothing to do with one of the 613 commandments, that it becomes like law, minhag kahalacha. Dummy, dummy. That it's like halacha. So, so that we'd have to further distinguish. Is is Judaism set up for this in our modern, in its modern rendering, or is Judaism actually set up for tyranny? And so that that's an interesting thing that needs to be discussed. And and uh, and for anyone who leads a Jewish organization, would have to be thinking about whether it's allowing percolation. And what kind of percolation? Is there, a, is there a line drawn? And the answer is, just like Moses and Aaron, that's a line. You can't cross that line. So too, the Torah mitzvahs and all of the halachas of, of Torah, meaning Torah and poskim, the Torah and all the Jewish law of history, that's the line. That you don't cross. That we, we draw the line there. If, that, if it showed up in Shulchan Aruch, it's, that's, that's not our discussion. That stays. Because you'll see there's plenty of Korachs in the, in the you know, more secular Jewish world. Oh, it's 10 after. Rabbi Nekemeyer here. Shalom. Okay, so click, follow, subscribe, whatever you got to do. Join the media club. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.